Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. I have a quote from Bob Willett, former president of Best Buy International and the CIO of Best Buy. Let's see what he has to say. The sooner we drop the E out of e-commerce and just call it commerce, the better. Okay, obviously we're talking about commerce, and since this is game-changing retail leaders, that's our focus today. Let's see what's going on. Retail is changing. We all know that. We've got digital shopping. We've got personalized consumer experiences. We've got subscription services. And what are they doing to the retail industry? Flipping it on its ear, turning it upside down, and maybe even inside out. So if a retailer wants to become a game-changing leader, what do they have to do? It could be as simple as opening their minds to new ways of thinking and new ways of doing. There are dramatic shifts in the industry. There are dramatic shifts in the way we as consumers buy and think about buying. And there are probably going to be some laggards in the retail industry who aren't going to get it, but the leaders have to pull out in front. Our panelists today are technology advisors and consultants who come with a background in legacy retail organizations. Yes, I'm going to name drop Macy's, Sports Authority, Office Depot, Kroger Company. They're here to share their experiences and insights into how retailers can, quote unquote, change the game because we're game changers to survive in the changing retail landscape. So welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Let me tell you who my three panelists are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. In just a moment, it will be my pleasure to introduce you to Matt Gardner. He spells it G-A-R-D-N-E-R. He's an industry advisor in e-commerce and retail at SAP. Joining him today, John McCoy, Global Director of the Customer Experience Advisory Team at SAP. Welcome to John. And rounding out the panel, this gentleman has been on Retail Game Changing Leaders with me a couple of weeks ago. It's Rick Barber coming back for more, North American Industry Advisor for Fashion Retail at SAP. Welcome back, Rick. Let's go around the table to Matt Gardner. And Matt has sent us a quote from a young lady, I would say, very young lady, whom I have never heard of before. Her name is Bridget Van. Krellingen or Krellinger, however, Krellingen, however you pronounce it, K-R-A-L-I-N-G-E-N. I didn't know who she was. Born in 1963. She's a business executive born in England, raised in South Africa. And what's important is since 2016, she has served as a senior VP of IBM Global Industry Platforms in New York City. Uh, she has been named in Fortune's 50 Most Powerful Women's List. That's why I'm wondering why I didn't hear from her. Hear about her 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Here's the quote. The last best experience that anyone has anywhere becomes the minimum expectation for the experience they want everywhere. Matt Gardner, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Bunny. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for the quote, and thank you for introducing me to Bridget. And she actually has a middle mm-hmm. initial, Bridget A. Van Krellingen. Is that how you say it, or Krellingen? Mm-hmm. Krellingen. Krellingen. Okay, we got it finally. Tell me how you found the quote, because I like it a lot. 
Um, just my background in, in retail and e-commerce had me come across it related to customer experience and user experience. And um, it was actually at a customer experience conference that somebody had referenced it. And just I found it really foundational for some of the approaches companies can bring today to commerce. So tell me something. When we talk about the last best experience, let's talk about level setting with experiences. We are all consumers, right, Matt? And we all know when we go to a store and something wonderful happens, that raises our expectations for everything else to follow. That's why I love the quote. So in terms of retailers, how does a retailer know when somebody walks into, let's just talk their store, let's just talk brick and mortar for a second here, that they just came from someplace else in the mall or someplace else online, and they had a great experience, and they expect this particular retailer to match it or exceed it. How do they know that, Matt? I I mean, I I feel honestly that the quote maybe isn't in the the most strict sense true, because I, I do think as consumers, we're all willing to tolerate varying levels of service because mm-hmm. it's about what value we're getting from a given company. But in, in a general sense, I think the quote really points to the trend that we're seeing of more convenience over time. I mean, an example of this is taking something like Lyft or Uber, where while the transaction is being facilitated through a type of e-commerce, and I really like what you spoke to earlier with the quote of, of getting rid of the E, because mm-hmm. even though it's a type of e-commerce, it's really just a transaction that's facilitated over that platform to deliver this value in essentially a private driver. And by having something like that, like a private driver facilitated through technology, we have an experience that's hard to go back from once it's, once it's been had. And so these things kind of woven into the fabric made it, make it so over time, if people aren't keeping up, if people aren't pushing their leading edge in their own industries, they'll fall behind simply because everyone else is focused on finding the conveniences and driving that through technology. Thank you very much. And I am very appreciative of the point you just made. Yes, we do have a tolerance level of what we will put up with. But I know there's a little, uh, shall we say, tolerance meter that goes off in my head as a consumer. If I walk in a store and there's nobody to speak to about where can I find XYZ merchandise, and I'm saying, hmm, where do, do they pay anybody to be on the floor anymore? Would the clerk at the, would the, the checker know? Uh, am I supposed mm-hmm. to get a store map on my phone to see where to go? I've had this experience in big stores when I was in New York uh, on Long Island. And it always leaves a little flag, if you will, just a little flag in my brain that says, remember next time you come to this store, don't expect service. I may go back because I want something at a certain price or a certain availability of merchandise, but I will know, don't expect good service there. So very good quote, and thank you for the background on that. Appreciate it. Matt, welcome to Game Changers. And now let's move on around the table slightly to John McCoy, who has sent us a wonderful quote from David Bowie, who left us, oh, way too soon, January 2016. He was born in 47. I called him a young guy. Known professionally as David Bowie, his full name was David Robert Jones, English singer, songwriter, actor, considered one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. His record sales in his lifetime estimated at 140 million albums worldwide made him one of the world's best-selling music artists. He got 10 platinum albums in the UK, 11 gold, 8 silver, and he had 11 number one albums. But he only got 5 platinum and 9 gold in the US. What can I tell you? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 96. Here's the quote, one, two, three, four, five words. 
and these are four or five very interesting words, turn and face the strange. John McCoy, you got to translate this for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, I, I think really for the best way to describe my relationship with David Bowie is he's, he's my spirit animal. Just put it that Ooh, way. I love okay. David Bowie. I love all the... I, I love all of his songs. I'm a hobbyist musician, and so lyrics have a real deep meaning for me. And um, he's, he's, I have a lot of his quotes um, in different places in my, in my house as well. But, but really what I, what I mean by that is that retail itself and, and a lot of business that I would say is entrenched um, and has this um, way it has been operating for some time, most of them have adopted specific principles from another gentleman. His name is actually Frederick W. Taylor, also has a middle initial. Um, some of the principles that he had taught as an engineer, and they've adopted those, and as a result of that, they are set up to fail. They're, the way that they operate prevents them from innovating as opposed to what they are focused too much on and have been historically around operate. Oper- I have a hard time saying this this morning. Operationalizing, there we go, um, the way that they do business. So Turn and Face the Strange really is about embracing change, and not just as the consumers are changing, but embracing change within your organization. And that's what I mean by setting up to fail. When organizations try to innovate and try to do new things because of the way that they operate today, they cannot. It prevents them from doing that. And so when I look at David Bowie and, and all that he did in challenging the status quo, that's what leadership needs to do within these retail organizations in order to just survive today. And I see a lot of them really struggling to do that. So the faster and sooner they can also turn to David Bowie, turn and face the strange and embrace some of that, mm-hmm. uh, the better um, they will, the better chance they will have at surviving. Thank you, John. And I just found another David Bowie quote that I think you're going to appreciate in the context of our discussion about so you want to be a retail leader. The quote is, tomorrow belongs to those who can hear it coming. How do you like that one? I have that in my head. It's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I might, that, might that's... not have tattoos of some of these things on my body. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what we're talking about is we're trying to say to retailers, uh, listen, put your ear to the ground or your shoulder to the grindstone or whatever, whatever old saw you want and listen because it's here. It's coming. And <laughs> if you want tomorrow, you, you got to tune in. Thank you so much, John. Pleasure to welcome you. And now let's move a little more around the table to Rick Barber, fashion retail at SAP, and he has sent us a quote from a military person, General George S. Patton, 1885 to 1945, senior officer of the U.S. Army, who commanded the U.S. 7th Army in the Mediterranean Theater, World War II, best known for his leadership of the U.S. 3rd in France and Germany after the Allied invasion of Normandy in June 44. And his nicknames, interestingly enough, Rick, were Bandito and Old Blood and Guts. I really enjoyed seeing that. And here is the quote. I like this one, too. If everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. Rick Barber, how have you been? Hi, Bonnie. It's great to be back with you. Thank you very much. Great to have you back. I love the patent quote. Talk to me about how this applies to retail leaders. Well, I think it comes from, I'm sure John and and, um, David Bowie would have a hard time believing that it's probably the same thought process, but it is. If you think about what, you know, John just said, um, 
they're mired retailers today in sort of what they used to do and the safety of that and how that brought them from there to here. And the ones that will survive and thrive in this new economy will be the ones who think differently, who think outside the, the lines and have open minds about new concepts and new ways to deliver product and the experiences, as Matt said, to the customer versus the way they used to think. Uh, we've all, the three of us, have been around long enough to sit in rooms with you know, people talk about what their new strategy will be. When you walk out of it, many times you feel like it's the same strategy we just had. We just put a different uh, a different slogan behind it, but we're not doing something different. And when you look on the landscape today, those retailers and, and consumer product companies that are thriving are doing things very differently. They are turning and embracing the change and the strange. They are thinking differently and outside the box, and they're making sure they make that lasting impression with a customer so they develop new customers much quicker than the legacy brand. So that's what it means to me. It comes at it from a little different angle than John's, but I think gets us to the same place. Thank you, Rick. And let me ask you a question. Where does this come from in retail, let's say it's a store that's been around. I know the three of you come from what we call well-known legacy organizations in retail. And my question is, whose job is it to keep their ear to the ground? Whose job is it to hear tomorrow coming? My my David Bowie quote I just contributed a moment ago when I was speaking with John. Is it is there something called a new innovations officer or an ear of the customer or eye of the customer officer in the C-suite today? Does it come from people in the in the workforce trickling down, going knocking on the door of the CIO or the CMO and saying, hey, did you realize that our competitors are doing XYZ and our customers aren't coming in as often? We need to look at this or that. Where does this innovative spirit and this need to keep up and keep ahead, where does it come from? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at some of the, look at a lot of the brands today, they are layering in someone called a chief experience officer, a chief Mm -hmm. innovation officer. And these folks are being charged with keeping their ear to the ground to understand new changes. Um, You know, the good friend who does that job at Macy's today, and he's brought a lot of very interesting change to a brand that is, uh, you know, struggling to reinvent itself in a very Mm fast-paced world. I think the challenge that they face, and I'm sure these guys could also, you know, share in their experience with this, is change, a cultural change is a very hard change. So when you live in an environment um, that has existed for 100 years, um, that is mired in the past and is benchmarked success or failure by Wall Street uh, on the past, it is very, very, very daunting to try to change that mindset. So... There are people in many, if not all, of the retailers today and wholesalers today who have that sort of innovative position and are charged with um, initiating and executing change. It's just uh, the pace of that change either needs to pick up faster, and they all know that as well, or they will continue to lose ground because the cost of entry as a new brand or new company is much lower than it used to be with things like the Internet and direct-to-consumer uh, than it used to be starting a company. So they can start quickly, explode in the marketplace, mm-hmm. capture share so fast. But these folks are faced with uh, a barrage of challenges. Thank you. And, and I have to share a little personal story with you. I'm going to come around and ask Matt and John the same question. I was working in, in Manhattan many years ago. I don't know if anybody remembers Seligman and Lats. Do you remember that company? They owned um, yeah. Glenby, Glenby Salons and they had a watch company and um, uh, a cosmetic company. I can't remember. Uh, Adrian. Adrian. 
was it Adrian Arpel? Something like that. And yep. I remember A, A was, yes, and I, I worked for them in the, in the uh, IT area programmer and um, I remember used to walk out of the office and walk over to Macy's in, in uh, where was it uh, 34th Street and and whatever 7th Avenue and one of my favorite things about Macy's back in the day was they had a, a restaurant uh, kind of a self-help restaurant where you go up to the counter and order your lunch and they used to have the most wonderful warm croissants in those days, I could eat croissants with with ham and melted cheese. And I used to go up there with some of my colleagues, and we would go get a little table or take it back to the office. Uh, we were on Ninth Avenue, and it was just such a treat. But it was one of the fun things about going to Macy's was we went to this little restaurant downstairs in the cellar. I think it was in the cellar, and they have a department called the cellar. And lunch was always fantastic, and that was a real treat. And I think it was very avant in those days to offer a lunch like that rather than just a cold sandwich. What do you think, Rick? Good memories. I think that, uh, yeah, listen, I actually, um, I'm old enough to remember things like that, and Jordan Marsh had the blueberry muffins they used to sell from the window yes. outside their store every morning. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and today, you know, and I was there for many, many years, and when it became a Macy's, there were still customers sending notes asking when and if we could bring back blueberry muffins. But if you think about that, right, that wasn't a come and buy a piece of product and leave experience. That was just an experience and a reason to come there. A lot of what you find in these innovative uh, leader conversations is a return back to that experience. Uh Not necessarily that you want to buy the latest INC sportswear or you want to buy the latest Nike sneaker. It's I want to come and run on the treadmill and have my... Uh, my gait uh, analyzed by an expert, and then they're going to buy a pair of shoes. Or I want to come in and have some great uh, Samsung experience in a virtual reality theater, and then I'm going to go home and buy it for my family. That is actually sort of a back to the future, if you think about it, of retail, and that's the exciting part. It, It is actually ingrained in their DNA. They just sort of lost it along the way. Thank you very much, and thanks for the shared memories. Let's go around before I get to what's in your cup today and, and where are you calling from and, and what are you up to these days. Matt Gardner, thoughts about the the experience part of it and whose job is it in a, in a retailer, big or small or mid-sized, to say, we are not keeping up. We need to jump ahead of the crowd or ahead of the herd and find something really interesting to bring people in so they're happy to have an experience in our store or on our website. What's your thought about that, Matt? Yeah, thanks for the question, Bonnie. I, it's interesting because I, I really believe it's it's top to bottom. I mean, everyone has to have this spirit. And I, I the common term I think that's thrown around lately is, is customer centricity. Um, and it, ultimately, I feel it has to be driven from top down in the sense of everyone kind of rolls up into the culture that's established in a lot of ways by the personalities that are that are leading an entity or a company. Mm-hmm. And so if the people at the top are really on the pulse of these things, um, I even I saw an article this week, and I wish I could remember the specific company, but the example uh, that, that was in this article was about a CEO going and working in the store without mentioning anything about who he was. He just said he worked for the company and was, would ask them pointed questions about their experiences in the retail store in order to, to hear real feedback from real customers of what they were facing and what, what innovations even they were seeing so that he could be on the pulse of what the expectation is. And so 
again, it, it, to me, it's it's got to be top down. I mean, there has to be some leaders, and again, there could be a, a particular role that's set aside by a smart CEO to know. Let me really have a torchbearer that's going to hold this context, yep. that's going to keep a rhythm going for the company. Um, but if it's not up in the upper echelons, I feel like it almost can fall on deaf ears. It actually can have the reverse effect because the people that that would are passionate about innovation lower in a company may not have a forum to express it or any it's almost like falling on deaf ears and they'll go somewhere else so i mean both for almost employee engagement and morale is just as important as driving the convenience for consumers Great points. Thank you very much. And what you were describing sounds like the plot for the TV show, Undercover Boss. Have you ever seen it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? They go undercover and they meet with different people around the company to see how they're doing their jobs and what their attitudes are and what the downside is of certain processes and systems. And then they come back and they, they take off the wig and the mask or whatever it is and go back to their natural hair color, get rid of the glasses and whatever they padded their bodies with. And, and then they meet the people and say, hey, I'm the CIO. I'm the CEO. I'm the CMO, whatever it is. And they give out <laughs> a lot of awards for people for doing a good job. That, that's really cool. I like the way you describe that. And thank you for bringing in the fact that there needs to be a forum for people who have ideas that would help propel the company forward. Let's go to John McCoy. John, interested in what you have to say on all of this. I know you've been listening so patiently to me chatting with Rick and with Matt. So what do you think? Where does this energy come from and who gets to hear whom in terms of what retailers need to do in the real world? Yeah, and... um I think I agree on, on some of the main points, but, but let me take it, I think, just a little bit further in that mm-hmm. everybody, you know, creativity and innovation and thought isn't and shouldn't be owned by any one given person. And if, you know, if, if I've learned anything in my experiences in business and in, in the time that I spent in the startup world in Silicon Valley, is that there are a lot of amazing ideas out there. Um, and that to Matthew's point, and again, taking it a step further, it's not so much the forum per se as it is an actual program. So speaking to some direct experience on how we, we started bringing about change in a past life is that we created an incubator program within the organization. Because I tell you now that the organization, you talk to any one of those executives or any individual, they all knew this stuff already. This wasn't mm-hmm. uh, groundbreaking concepts of we need to change, we need to do something different. It's that they didn't have an actual program to do it. And if you talk to them, you know, they, they were eager to do something. It's just the how. So what we did in one organization is I created an incubator program with internal and external mentors. We then had them submit company-wide their ideas. Uh, I had uh, the CEO and the rest of the, the board agreed to fund five ideas a quarter and that there was a curriculum and a course and those people that submitted those ideas ultimately received funding and became their so their own CEO and were completely insulated from the rest of the executive team. And they had the ability to pull in multiple people up to four to help them build out and um, gain traction and validation within their idea. Some of the work that came out of that in a very short time period, where people were generating revenue in as little as four weeks, Mm. Um, I remember one individual, uh, and to quote them, said, I've been here at this organization for 15 years. I've accomplished more in eight weeks than I did in the past 10. And it's programs like that that take it and walk people through their ideas and mentor and help them that's insulated 
from the executive team? Because the executive team will always try and then manage those ideas. But if you gate it, you allow them to have input for additional seed funding at different stages of what was a 16-week-over-week course um, that they were engaged in. Then you can foster new ideas. Then you can figure out ultimately how it scales in the end as these individuals are taking the passions that they have with these ideas, getting the funding and the organizational support to push them forward while staying at arm's length and not interfering overly, uh, that the change is brought about. So I just wanted to let's take, it, take it another step, and that's, that's what organizations need to do. That's turn and face the strange. That's an executive saying, you know what, I'm going to let this process happen. I'm going to fund it, and I'm going to get out of their way, and then when the time is right, based upon this curriculum and this program, we will have the ability to then bring in an opinion. But they have to let go of that control and allow those individuals with those passionate, with those passions and those new ideas to flush out how real those are through that program and validation and gaining traction. Thank you, John. Great insights. And I really enjoyed hearing you talk about that incubator program and the productivity doing more in eight weeks, I think you said, than in 10 or 15 years. That's exciting. Yeah, it was kind of sad. <laughs> well, it's it's sad, but it's but exciting it's for the person going through it. And and what did we say? We were talking about one of the quotes in the opening saying, uh, I think it was Matt's quote, last best experience that anyone has anywhere becomes the minimum expectation. Imagine if you go from 10 years of incubation to, to eight weeks or six weeks and you say, dang, work really has changed. And, and I, I have the ability to bring so much more to the table and to the world in a short amount of time. I must really be smart. I mean, can you imagine what that does for the person in their own experience? I their saw, own... People, yeah, I saw people come alive. Yeah. Right. People, people literally, yeah. it was like they were dormant and a part of them was dormant. Um, and and they, they just would flourish and then flower in these new opportunities. And individuals that before were like, no, this guy, he just doesn't, he's too jaded, he doesn't get it, or she doesn't get it, what have you. And then they get this opportunity and, and some room, and they were accomplishing incredible things in a very accelerated timeline. It was amazing to see. Very exciting. Thank you for sharing that. There is hope. And you know what? Now I hope we can go back around to what we usually do at this part of the show. I really appreciate the three of you jumping in on my question that really wasn't in the agenda, but I just wanted to find out what you thought. And thank you so much for great information. And uh, John, that was terrific. Matt Gardner, we'd love to know a little bit about you. So first of all, where are you calling from today? Second of all, what's in your cup right now? Or what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? The best drink you really love that powers you, makes you smile. I have your smiling picture in front of me, by the way. And third question, just briefly in 60 seconds, where did you come from in the retail world and what do you do right now? So Matt Gardner, you're up first. Sure. Yeah, I'm in Delray Beach, Florida, um, oh. the sunny state. It's, it's actually, I think, been a little hotter in other parts of the country than here in, in recent weeks. Um, I have an iced Americano sitting in front of me. And so um, I just have found lately that this sits with me a lot better than regular coffee. And it's just something that keeps me going and keeps me sharp during the day. And um, I just find it kind of benefits what I'm up to with with my contribution. And um, I guess how, how I've gotten to the current state of contribution I'm in, 
I've spent 20 years in uh, both startup companies and then retail companies. And so my background was kind of rooted in user experience and, and the way technology could serve uh, human intentions and, and convenience and things like that. And kind of over the journey of building a lot of things, wearing a lot of hats in startups to then going into major corporations and, and driving um, almost in the spirit of what, what John just spoke to, of operating and being given the chance by various leaders in my early career to, to really bring what I thought was possible. And one example was um, some dashboards and things like that that I had worked with a small group and a startup to build out. I was then able to bring that into something like Office Depot and build out an entire prototype with, with again, that shielding from kind of the executive group deciding what it should be or how it should be and really show a proof of concept that then honestly cemented a path in my career that had me move up into other roles. And, um, and obviously most recently at uh, the Kroger company, they had acquired a company called Vitacost in 2014 mm-hmm. and are integrating their e-commerce pieces of, of ship-to-home fulfillment, kind of augmenting the in-store experience with ship-to-home things through this acquisition. And so I was kind of active in that process until my latest role, which is now here at SAP and, and provide providing advice and essentially insights related to how technology and and the cutting edge of of technology solutions can really deliver value and and drive revenue and and profits, honestly, through convenience. I mean, again, it comes kind of, for me, full circle back to what we're talking about here today. Thank you very much, Matt. Good to get to know you. And by the way, anybody's wondering, as I was, exactly what an iced Americano is. According to the Starbucks uh, website, they say it's espresso shots topped with water to produce a light layer of crema then served over ice. Uh, results in a wonderfully rich cup with depth and nuance. Is that correct, Matt Gardner? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. John McCoy, where are you calling from? What's your favorite drink? And what's your background in retail? And what are you doing now? Yeah, so my my favorite drink is Fair, and this is important to get the brand right, because uh-huh. it, there's, there's a big difference. It's Fair Life Chocolate Milk. And the reason why is that this particular milk is that they – do an extra filtration in, in, in the process. So it mm-hmm. actually, I, I, I like to consider it guilt-free chocolate milk. They double Ooh. the protein and cut in half the sugar. So now I feel like whenever, I'm, you know, rather than just grabbing a glass of milk, I can grab a glass of chocolate milk and it's actually healthier for me than just a regular glass of milk. And you know, it's, it's, I want, it's, it's I want to interrupt you for a second. <laughs> I, I have Kroger. I, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, I've got Kroger on the brain here because I shop at, at uh, Harris Teeter, which I think is a Kroger company. I have Fairlife 1% plain milk in my fridge right now. You mean the chocolate mm. milk is that good, John? It's that good? It, it is better. I will make the, the, the statement here. It's on the radio. It's recorded. So you can whatever. It is the <laughs> best tasting chocolate milk that you can that you can get hands down. And it's also the healthiest. Wow. I'm I'm going back to Harris Teeter tonight. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. Thank you very much. Now, a little bit about you. Besides your your fascinating drink, what do you do? Um, So what I do today is I I run the customer experience practice uh, globally for um, C4 uh, for for SAP. Um, And we help support customers um, 
really achieve their overall KPIs. So everybody on my team, including myself, has lived it, breathed it, slept it, uh, ran digital practices, commerce, marketing, CRM, customer. And we just want to make sure that our customers are um, aware of various best practices, validation, and strategy that's out there in the marketplace, what's coming, those sorts of things. And we work with them to help them achieve their KPIs. But we, we support our customers that way. Thank you very much. I know it's a good experience. And now let's move around the table. Rick Barber, in case somebody didn't hear you talk about your drink and what you do when you were on with me a couple of weeks ago, let's start from scratch with you. Welcome back, Rick Barber. Where are you? What do you love to drink? And what's your background in retail? Sure. Well, Bonnie, I am joining you today from the 52nd floor of the Hudson Yards, New Hudson Yards SAP yes. offices, looking out at the beautiful day uh-huh. here in New York City thinking about my weekend down the shore, uh, enjoying a very strong cup of coffee, as I shared with you before. That is my favorite drink. Although, John, I will tell you, my three little boys live by Fairlife uh, chocolate milk, so they can swear by your testimony as well. Uh, (laughs) But I am uh, here at our new Hudson Yards offices, looking out over uh, a beautiful day here in New York. Uh, I told you last time, you know, I grew up in this business, even though I thought I would be doing something else. I started at 17 years old in a small haberdashery in my hometown, and I uh, did it as a part-time job to, to put myself through college and somehow got the bug and stayed in the business for what is now 30 years. And, and I often introduce myself as a recovering retail merchant. Uh, uh, my job has been uh, in many different merchandising lines, hard lines, soft lines, men's, women's, accessories, uh, growing up in the May Company and Macy's organizations, traveling mm-hmm. the globe, living in many different parts of the country. I'm back where I was born and started my journey uh, here now with SAP. Uh, I think of myself sometimes as the software whisperer. I meet with customers to understand what their real-world problems are and try to explain to them, as one person told me in plain English, uh, how SAP can help them imagine a different uh, view of how to run their business and get in touch with their customers. And then I, I reverse that track and I speak to the great thinkers here at SAP about how to help develop real-world solutions for our customers that can be easily implemented, easily understood, and can help them deliver the results you're looking for. Thank you very much, Rick Barber. And I'm looking at the clock, and gentlemen, it's we're having such a good time and so many good insights on our topic that I think I'm going to skip the break, if that's okay with you. And I think we're going to go right into the formal roundtable, but we've actually been having a roundtable since we started. So I appreciate the flexibility. Matt Gardner, I'm looking at your notes here. And let's talk about digital enablement, if that's okay with you. Uh, as digital enablement continues to expand consumer choice, intelligent technologies have to rise to offer more convenience to serve an increasingly empowered and impatient audience. So let's talk about this digital world, the technology that's available for retailers. Tell us a little bit about your point of view on this, and we will bring in John and Rick to chime in as well. Go ahead, Matt. Sure. I I mean, for me, it's truly all about convenience uh, for, for customers, and we're in a unique kind of phase in the unfolding of, of industry right now, of, of technology kind of multiplying in a way that's, that's providing intelligence in a way that, that hasn't been as readily available. And I, and I think that trend is going to continue to, to speed up. And in a lot of senses, the retailers are actually not just competing with each other, but with our own psychology. Um, I think there was a study in... 
in 2000 by Microsoft that found kind of since the mobile revolution began, the average attention span of an individual dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. And um, it was cited in, in an article I saw that that's one second less than the average goldfish. And I don't know mm-hmm. exactly how they determine the uh, attention span of a goldfish, but it's pretty short. I mean, to, to say eight seconds is, is the window we're working with to have a compelling connection that, that has someone move forward in a relationship and really feel understood and connected in a way that's valuable to them. And um, an example, I guess, of a way that that could fit is, is think, of, think of almost a, a busy mother who's got her son at, a, at soccer practice or something, and she's got five minutes in the car waiting to, to take him home from this practice. Well, that moment, and, and this is something that I know has been talked about recent years, of micro-experiences is something where if we can enable commerce in that, that small moment there, we suddenly have an opportunity to create value in a way that's unique that might not be achieved some other way. I mean, so if we're, if our goal is to drive sales as a company and this mother's goal is to have a convenient experience for what she's trying to achieve, again, just fulfilling her basic needs of what the needs might be for new cleats for her son. In that moment, if she's able to check the local store stock, reserve them, and then pick them up on the way home, that's just a a simple example of what becomes possible with intelligence and technology. Thank you. Let's see what John McCoy has to say. John, any examples you want to add? Any comments? Agree or disagree with Matt Gardner? Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree from the standpoint that, that the convenience is the table stakes, right, as far as technology and ensuring that, you know, your, your inventory is being surfaced there so they can shop you and so on and so forth. But I, I think that there's a lot more beyond uh, convenience and price, because if it's only convenience, then Amazon and Walmart have already won that battle. Um, and I don't think that mm-hmm. that's entirely true. I think that they're you know, there's a lot of elements that go into the decisioning process for an individual and that really as, as organizations look at the value that they add as a brand, if all it is is convenience and price, if those are how they're looking to differentiate, then they should probably just pack up and go home now because, you know, Amazon, again, Walmart and, and those types of organizations have already conquered that and won that. I think where they can look at additional opportunities is really understanding who their customer is, um, understanding not just and, and beyond convenience and price, what it is that they, um, what it is that makes them tick, what are the other influencers are as part of those decisions. Um, certainly making it convenient as possible and being price sensitive, again, is super important, but there's a lot more beyond that that needs to be um, that needs to be built out from a strategic perspective for these different brands. Brand brands used to mean something. It's deteriorating for a lot of organizations um, as they're struggling to try and figure out who they are in this little identity crisis, um, trying to to appease the customer um, in different ways. But um, I think there's a lot of value in some of these brands that have been able to stick to their guns as far as the value that they bring and what that name, what that brand actually means how it resonates with the customer and some of the more psychological components of, of, of all of those elements coming together to influence the decisioning process. Thank you, Rick. The same conversation we had before, right? That we've got to think differently about how we're engaging customers, what's important to them 
you know, you talked about brands being less important, uh, time being valuable. Um, as much as we all in the industry believe that things, information is coming at us as fast as possible, it's the same for the customer. They're getting bombarded with 24-hour news or the ability to instantly shop and have something delivered that day. So they're changing their habits, and I think it's really critical that we continue to evolve at the same pace um, that they are because, you know, Eight seconds is not an easy time to engage with a customer, um, but it leaves a very lasting impression. So um, I, I, you know, follow along the same thought process we had before, that change is inevitable, and the pace of that change is faster than ever before, um, and being equipped and armed to meet that challenge will make you successful, uh, and the lack of that will make you a failure. Thank you very much. Matt, anything you want to add to this part of the conversation before I move on? I have something in John's notes I want to talk about next. Matt Gardner? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, that really just covered. I very much agree with John that, that there is this broader element that uh, can be brought to just convenience and price. And um, I, I'll speak, I guess, a little bit just into... Um, you think of the essence of a brand like Apple of how they've gotten connected to their customers. And without question, they're, they're demanding the highest prices in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they're a great example of, of John's point there, of there being definitely a world of opportunity related to the brand and the connection in essence to a customer. Thank you very much. John McCoy, I'm looking at your notes here, and there's something that just jumped out and fascinated me. Your second point, you say, compare Maslow's hierarchy of needs to business. Retailers must focus on building the foundation before chasing the shiny pennies, which you call the digital one percenters who are trying too hard to create digital innovation without the infrastructure first. Let me just give a reference point here. Anybody who is not familiar with Maslow, uh, Maslow expressed his theory in a 1954 book called Motivation and Personality and it was a framework for sociology and psychology research and it included your physiological needs, your safety needs, your social belonging, esteem, self-actualization, and self-transcendence. Did I cover those okay, John McCoy? And do you want to tell us what this means for retailers, please? Yeah, yeah. No, I think, um, you know, call me old-fashioned, but, but I like to eat, you know, my main course meal before my dessert. I just don't, I just don't like to go and jump right into the dessert. And that's what I see again, these retailers doing. So to the point that I brought up before, how all of this comes together with, you know, the, the incubator type of concept and program is that those things are important, but, but typically those will take some time in order to uh, drive some of these changes that we talked about, right? These ideas, you foster them, you do these different things and that's great. and, and, And you're starting to generate revenue. But typically, that's going to make up less than a percent of your revenue um, and, and for some time. So rather than just jumping into those pieces, you really need to focus on a couple of core things. And just like Maslow, right, he had his, his basic needs, which are the first two kind of foundational pieces. You're talking food and shelter, essentially safety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for, for retail organizations, you know, there's some, again, some soul searching that needs to be done to understand identity. Uh, what it is that you want to differentiate is your main core components of business, um, financial security, and the holistic vision with that differentiation. And, and what frustrates me is I'll get into these meetings with executives and um, they'll go right to the shiny pennies. You know, mm-hmm. they'll start talking right about AI, right? Um, and it's like, wow, you know, AI is super cool, absolutely, and it is the future. 
But, but right now, as a whole, for the most part, that's a digital one percenters problem, right? For those that can really invest the time in figuring out AI, um, if that takes up any more than, you know, literally 1% of your time today, you're, you're spending all of your resources and efforts and, and money in something that's not going to drive significant change within your organization today or even in the, in the recent and near future. So, so focus on some blocking and tackling pieces. Build your business line upon line, precept upon precept, organize yourselves, and then set apart a program to innovate that, in, that includes these pieces of AI, that includes these pieces of machine learning, IoT, whatever some of those technology enablers might be. But if all you're doing is focusing on those things, you are going to find yourself in a bad spot and had focusing too much energy on where 1% or less of your business is being derived from. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I appreciate the reference back to Maslow. We don't usually hear about him on shows like this. Thank you, Rick Barber. Interesting comments from John McCoy. What do you think? Agree or disagree, Rick? Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like when I sit in the meetings and, and I share the same you know sentiment that John does, that someone's looking for the silver bullet or the, the great tech answer uh, or a phrase that says they've, they've checked that box you know, whether that's for their management, their board directors, their, you know, shareholders. But the reality is it's, it's a process, right? And there is a, there's still a, uh, an engagement process with your customer and doing business, right? It may be extremely accelerated based on a digital world we live in and all the inputs that customers can have. But the reality is there's a process to this. And, and looking for the shiny key, as, as John described, is, is not going to get you there and build a foundation for success, right? It's a different foundation than the one you may have grown up as a company with or you may be forming a new company and thinking about how to do that. It's a different foundation, but it's still a foundation that engages, um, delights, uh, and entertains and then secures that customer uh, experience. So, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with what John said. It's, it's um there's no quick answer or silver bullet to make it better. It's, it's a process uh, that's part of the change. Thank you. Matt Gardner, around the table to you. Join us, please. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would illustrate this very much in agreement, and I would illustrate this uh, in, in the idea of auditing. I mean, in the sense of thinking of this hierarchy that John spoke to, and just it, it gives such a, a, a clear visual and an easy way to understand kind of the foundation and how the layers were, are going to stack and sit and rest on one another. And um, the last few companies I've been in, the very first thing that I do is come in and actually audit core parts of the customer experience and user experience to see if there are any gaps. And in, in both cases, it's been a massive win, a small investment to get real key insights, both with the company themselves and the relationship to the customer and expectations that are set there, as well as competitive across to other companies in the way that they are providing similar things. One example of that it was um, at a company that came into um, Sports Authority two years ago where one finding that we found and one change that we made and the last step, step of checkout lowered cart abandonment by 10%. So these were people that essentially had filled everything out, chosen the, the merchandise that they wanted to buy, put in their credit card number, 
and literally missed the fact that they needed to click a button at the end of the process. And extremely easy to find, uh, obviously with the audit being done, a very foundational thing of all of these whiz-bang things you could be adding to try to mm-hmm. personalize in other parts of the process. But these are willing buyers, ready and, and meaning to buy, missing the opportunity because of a foundational piece that, that hasn't been seen yet. So 100% agree, and, and, and you know, I think that's a really steady example of, of the possibilities there. Fascinating. I, I have to tell you, Matt, I can't tell you the number of times I've tried to buy an e-gift card for one of my granddaughters at a certain site they wanted. I won't name them, but some very well-known re- retailers couldn't find the e-gift card on their site, went to check out, couldn't get the information. Listen, I've been in the tech industry since the mid-70s. I know my way around a website <laughs> and, and buttons and all that. And literally after a half hour and trying eight times, I had to text my granddaughter and say, sorry, could I just get you an Amazon card. I can't do it. This happened two or three times with different retailers online. Now, come on. Give me a break, right? It's 2018 or 2017. Don't make my life a living hell trying to buy a gift card. It should be a three-minute in-and-out process. No mystery. No throwing me off the site and we don't recognize you and enter your password again. Anyway, very, very. You're right. It's foundational. Absolutely. Gentlemen, we have uh, five minutes left to the show. I want Rick Barber to just give me one sentence on one point, and then I'm going to circle back to Matt and have you do your prediction. 60 seconds each. Rick, I'm looking your notes it is one I just wanted you to comment one quick comment in order to overcome dramatic workforce turnover retail leaders must train empower and educate their teams just give me all right two sentences what does that mean uh, the I think it goes directly back to what Matt said right your last experience and what you said to begin with your last mm-hmm. experience is your new benchmark for success these people are the last the first and last people that your customers will touch either on the phone or in person so empowering them to become your brand ambassador is your success to victory in uh, the retail world. Couldn't agree more. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Matt Gardner, I've got 60 seconds with your name on them for you to give us a prediction. Let's go to 2020 or any time out up to 2025. What will change about this topic? So you want to be a game-changing retail leader. Talk to me. Matt, go. Yeah, I think where this is ultimately headed is an ultra-tailoring of experiences, not just personalized, but but like an optimized orchestration. And an example of this, I mean, just to kind of give a breadcrumb into the, these coming years, is something that's actually coming in Apple's next mobile operating system, OS 12, which it calls Series Shortcuts. And the concept that they're going with here is that you can literally link together a chain of actions and assign a keyword to it. So you can tell your mobile phone, I'm coming home, and it will set your thermostat. It will send an ETA to a friend. It will pull up a map with directions, and it will turn on your favorite music. And so that's the kind of baby step towards this optimized orchestration that I believe after the foundations are set, as we've kind of spoken here today, will be enabled through things like AI and machine learning, these other things. All of this is going to culminate together into processes and in, in Again, orchestration to me is really the word that's there on a level that we just haven't seen, and it's going to be really exciting, I think, for Thank all of you. Us. I like exciting. John McCoy, 60 seconds. That's all I've got for you. Veet, veet. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I think that um, I think you're going to see a really interesting world into which there are certain elements of our day, as Matthew outlined, that will become incredibly pre-programmed based upon you know current likes, moods. But I also think there's going that you know these these trends will fold back in on themselves. And something that Rick said, I couldn't agree more, is that ultimately there are specific aspects and elements of our shopping and day-to-day behavior to where we will crave real, genuine and authentic human interaction. So certain parts of our lives will become very, very digitalized from a convenience, again, to Matthew's point perspective, but other elements will become more intimate and more personal. As human beings, we crave um, each other's time and attention, support, um, and just general day-to-day interaction with each other. So it will be a hyper in both ways, I should say. Okay, and I'm going to try not to be hyper when I tell Rick Barber he's got 30 seconds for prediction. Go ahead, Rick. I think that the I think that the business model of the future we're not even sure what that looks like today. We're on our way to a journey to something that is very different than what we see today. Uh, it will be shopping in different platforms and different manners. And um, again, anybody who is not buckled in and had their trade table in the upright and locked position uh, is going to have a very bumpy ride. But it could be a very exciting dawn of a new retail age. Thank you very much. I have to thank the three of you, Matt Gardner, John McCoy, Rick Barber. What a great conversation. Really good to get to know the three of you. thought you were an extraordinary panel. And I have to thank Stephen Sparrow and Kelly Cockshaw at SAP for putting together. I know Kelly is listening. Thank you so much. Great energy, great insights, a real pleasure to speak with you. And, of course, a shout-out to Aaron, our intrepid engineer at World Talk Radio on the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Speak about locking in, Rick Barber. Fasten your seatbelt. I want a a customized one-on-one designer seatbelt for my sports car. I really do. Still looking for one. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Matt Gardner, just like John McCoy, just like Rick Barber. Signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.